0: This is an RNZ podcast.
1: Hello, I'm Simon Morris. One day I must find out what the famous only six plots in movies actually are. Every screenwriting course worth its salt refers to them, claiming that all stories boil down to this easily manageable handful. I assume they include the coming-of-age story, the fish out of water and the dreaded hero's journey, plus whatever the other ones are. But while they're a handy shorthand, they're not much help when it comes to coming up with new ideas. Hey! Hey, I think it'll
0: work. Of course! You know it may be crazy, but we're gonna do it. The Dooming Cavalier is now a musical.
1: The six plots are only the basic structure after all, but there are considerably more reliable locations and setups to tempt you into a movie. And coincidentally, this week sees three of the more popular ones on display. The first is the always appealing newspaper story.
0: I asked him to leave me alone. Instead, they say he met them with threats and sexual demands. We're from the New York Times. I believe he used to work for Harvey Weinstein.
1: She said, tells how the New York Times took on Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein and along the way encouraged the famous Me Too movement. But it follows in the footsteps of journalist classics like Spotlight, All the President's Men, Deadline USA, and The Front Page.
0: Hey, Hutchison. That noise, what's that racket? That's the press, baby, the press. And there's nothing you can do about it, nothing.
1: Even though these days we mostly get our information from social media, the idea of the old-fashioned crusading print journalist remains very appealing. Another popular format is the Bronte-esque melodrama. As the wily, windy moors stretch out in the background, our two doomed lovers cling to each other or tap on each other's window.
0: Let me in. Let me in. in. I cannot live without my life. I cannot live without my soul.
1: It doesn't have to be the Moors, of course. Jane Campion proved it could be a bleak, sandy beach in New Zealand in the piano. And goodness knows Twilight and its semi spin-off Fifty Shades of Grey is Bronte emotional territory, if not literally Yorkshire. So what better time for a fictional biopic of one of the genre's creators, Emily?
0: Nature is always an inspiration. Yes, nature was wonderful. <laughs> the rain was a good choice. Thank you. I do wonder though, how does God squeeze himself into all that rain when he get wet?
1: Another popular genre seems to have fallen out of favour a bit now, but it was huge in the 30s and 40s, the old stranded-in-the-Caribbean scenario. It used to be an exotic place where Bogart could run into Bacall, but it turned political once Graham Greene, Somerset Maugham and Ernest Hemingway got their hands on it. Where every man has a price and every woman a past, where all barriers are down
0: and the only law is the law of the Caribbean.
1: Graham Greene in particular made the idea of the doomed hero and the woman who tries to save him so much his own that for a while the genre had its own locale, Greenland. Well this week Claire Denise sets up camp there. I'm
0: an American journalist and I'm going home tomorrow. Tomorrow or the day after.
1: Denise Stars at Noon is taken from the woman's point of view for a change, but I notice she still gives her anti-hero a rumpled white suit, the only sort you can get in Greenland. But first, a far more contemporary story about how Hollywood's worst-kept secret was finally made public.
0: She said... Will you give me just one chance to talk to you? Are you sure that this isn't just young women who want to sleep with a movie producer to try to get ahead? This is bigger than Weinstein. This is about the system protecting abusers.
1: The old newspaper saying goes, news is what someone somewhere wants to hush up. All the rest is advertising. The trouble is that without advertising, the newspapers go out of business. That's the paradox at the heart of every crusading journalist's story. Will the truth come out or will it be hushed up by the advertisers? And the story of She Said turned out to be too big to hush up.
0: They claim assault and rape. If that can happen to Hollywood actresses, who else is it happening to?
1: But it didn't happen on its own. Sexual harassment has been the business world's dirty secret forever. Wherever there's a power imbalance and sex is treated as a perk of the job by mostly the top men. Until one day, the mighty New York Times decided to try and shine a light on it.
0: Why is sexual harassment so pervasive and so hard to address? Let's interrogate the whole system. Hi, my name is Jody Cantor. I'm an investigative reporter for the New York Times. The
1: Times editor, played by Patricia Clarkson, puts journalist Jody Cantor, Zoe Kazan, onto the story. And Jody reports back that the worst offender seems to be the movie business, but that nobody is talking.
0: What have you got? I was told that the wrongdoing in Hollywood is overwhelming. I don't want to be quoted. Period. Understood.
1: Jodie consults another journalist, Megan Toohey, played brilliantly by Carrie Mulligan, whose last story revealed the bad behaviour of billionaire Donald Trump. Despite Trump's undoubted clout, Megan got enough witnesses to back up his story.
0: In your previous stories... How did you persuade women to tell you what had happened to them? A case I made was, I can't change what happened to you in the past, but together we may be able to help protect other people. The truth, basically.
1: Megan and Jodie decide to work together on this story and it soon transpires that Hollywood's worst offender seems to be one of its most powerful producers, Harvey Weinstein. And this is how the story that toppled a monster came about. What is it exactly that we're looking at here?
0: These young women walked into what they all had reason to believe were business meetings. I can still see it, the hotel room, the floor plan. He kept trying to touch me.
1: Structurally, she said, is all the president's men relocated from 1970s Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles, New York and London in the 1990s and 2000s. And it's fascinating how little the methodology has changed in 50 years.
0: Do you wish you hadn't signed up for this story? Do you? No. The only way these women are going to go on the record is if they all jump together.
1: We may have the internet and cell phones now, but a journalist's job remains the same. It's legwork, following sources, often face-to-face, looking for confirmation. And in this case, while everyone seems to know the story, no one is prepared to talk, or at least go on the record.
0: People have tried to write this story before. He kills it every time. Harvey adamantly denies any allegation of assault. He played people. He was a master manipulator.
1: And she said as a blow-by-blow account of how a system built to punish the innocent and protect the guilty was defeated by that much maligned body of men and women, the mainstream media.
0: You have to imagine that every call you make is being recorded. And you're being followed. Can you imagine how many Harveys there are out there? You want to get me killed?
1: What I loved about She Said was that it told its story with the minimum of histrionics. It simply showed the grit and determination of two journalists and the remarkable courage of the few women who finally stood up. As the title suggests, She Said is a very female-driven film. Most of the talent in front of and behind the camera are women.
0: Are we talking solely corporate misuse of power? No, we're talking all workplaces where sexual harassment might happen. Also, let's look for the enablers. Fox kept O'Reilly on for quite some time after our story broke. And for decades before that. The network only ousted him when the advertisers jumped ship.
1: Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey are shown as working mothers, often trying to get other mothers to talk about things they've tried to suppress for years. And the film reminds us that simply nailing one perpetrator is hardly solving the problem. Hollywood's casting couch was notorious for as long as there's been a Hollywood. And outside the film business, the powerful prey on the powerless every day.
0: I have three daughters and I don't want them to ever accept abuse or bullying.
1: I'll go on the record.
0: Go write. It's time to write.
1: It's easy to say that one movie, or for that matter, one story, even in a prestigious paper like the New York Times, can only do so much. But sometimes so much is considerably better than not enough. She said it's a great old fashioned newspaper story illuminated by a terrific cast, including the best I've seen, Samantha Morton, in years.
0: I had to have their permission if I wanted to contact a therapist or speak to an accountant. I was never to speak to any other media now or hereafter existing about it.
1: Hartley recommended, though, depressingly, she said, opened badly in the States, I believe. Whether this is because American audiences don't want their rose-colored view of Hollywood sullied, or they need the idea of newspapers explained to them, I can't say. This is all gonna come up.
0: I was silenced. I want my voice back.
1: I have to confess I've never been a committed fan of the Bronte-esque. Those wild, tempestuous women crying out on the moors for their demon lovers are a bit rich for my blood. I prefer my 19th century costume dramas a bit more Janeite or Dickensian. But you can't deny the power of the Bronte sisters' writing, particularly the one novel by middle sister Emily.
0: Emily, how did you write Wuthering Heights?
1: Shall we begin? And Emily is the fictionalised story of how Wuthering Heights came about. There are three sisters, Charlotte, Emily and the often overlooked Anne, all to be novelists and none of whom lived to see 40, incidentally. They lived in their father's vicarage out on the Yorkshire moors. Their father, played by Adrian Dunbar, rather more sympathetically than I was expecting, is concerned about his daughter's prospects, particularly Emily Jane.
0: I have often struggled to understand you. Your
1: poetry. Do not bring shame on this house, Emily. While Charlotte and Anne settle into teaching and governess jobs, Emily is the difficult one. Paralysed by shyness, she prefers to stay at home or go for long walks on the moors, making up stories. At his wits' end, her father invites his curate, the dashing Mr Waitman, to come in and teach Emily French.
0: Mr Waitman will be tutoring you in French. (laughs) He speaks with such poetry. Any man can speak. What I want to know is, can he actually
1: do? Do what? (laughs) Mr Waitman's arrival has a predictable effect. All three sisters fall in love with him immediately, though he behaves like a perfect gentleman. Certainly compared with their brother, the rakish Bramwell Bronte, played at full throttle by star-in-the-making Finn Whitehead.
0: Freedom in thought! A pathetic attempt. The freedom in thought! Come on, really get behind it. Freedom in thought! Come on, give it some welly! Freedom in thought! Freedom in thought!
1: I'm not sure if Give It Some Welly is quite authentic Bronte, but you do get the idea. And one of the ideas of the film Emily, the debut of actress Frances O'Connor as both writer and director, is, as you'd expect, spot the Wuthering Heights elements. It's supposed to be an artist. So be an artist. What is that? I wrote it. The barometer is set to wuthering pretty much throughout. I wonder how many of the cast and crew caught a cold during the waterlogged shoot. Familiar names crop up, as well as famous scenes when you least expect them. But at the centre, Emily, played by Anglo-French star Emma Mackey, is her own person as she struggles to become a writer.
0: You're off to become a wonderful teacher. You know I don't like to meet new people. What do you
1: want to
0: do? Do you think I could be a writer?
1: I have lots of stories. Mr. Waitman finds himself torn between attraction to his pupil and the fact that she makes him nervous. Adding a certain je ne sais quoi to their French lessons is the fact that actor Oliver Jackson-Cohen, like Emma Mackey, is half French. The two actors had to put on thick English accents for those scenes.
0: Is that what the sea sounds like?
1: Yeah. Driving the story of Emily is the rivalry with her older sister Charlotte, Alexandra Dowling, who in this telling is the more conventional sister. She's constantly concerned with how Emily is perceived by their neighbours. She's also horrified when she reads Emily's unfettered poetry, though that's nothing to her reaction when Emily finally rolls her sleeves up and starts writing her novel. It's an ugly book. There's something ungodly in your writing feel it when we're together
0: you know they call you the strange one everyone's strange if you look at them for long enough
1: now purists might quibble at how straight-laced charlotte is being made in emily this after all is the woman who introduced the gothic mad woman in the attic to victorian literature in jane eyre but i suppose compared with emily and brother branwell most people might come across as a little conventional
0: every time i come home I see more and more what you are becoming. I won't let you drag me down, I won't! I'm going to make something of myself. Charlotte.
1: Despite my prejudices, I found myself strangely drawn to the film Emily. Partly it was because it offered some well-researched insights into the three women who contributed so much to subsequent storytelling. Hollywood in particular owes them a massive debt and partly it's the film itself. Oh, here they are. (laughs) I return home to find my poor father overrun with the entire clergy of Yorkshire and not a pot of tea to be seen and my sisters holding back the new curate in the kitchen. (laughs) Writer-director Frances O'Connor captures some of the stormy darkness of the Brontes, but she also adds a warmer sympathy for the characters, particularly Emma Mackey's Emily. Emily. Hardcore Bronte fans may object, but for the less extreme Friends of Emily with an interest in seeing how she made her brief 30 years count, it's an impressive debut. Who are
0: you? You wait and see.
1: Stars at Noon is a French version of an American novel and directed by that most French of auteurs, Claire Denis. No wonder it picked up the Grand Prix at Cannes this year. Originally, Stars at Noon was set in Nicaragua during the Sandinista era. Denis has updated it to the rather less commonly known present day, though she makes no effort to clarify the admittedly pretty tortuous current political scene. Who's running Nicaragua at this time? What's the role of neighbours Costa Rica, particularly the Costa Rican police? Did you know the
0: Department of Defence is after you? Do you know how many people are playing in your game? A lot of people are involved. What did you do? Things aren't as simple here as you want to think.
1: No matter. The story starts out pure Graham Greene. There's a man in a shabby white suit drinking alone at a bar. An American woman strikes up a conversation with him. She claims to be a journalist, though she's clearly plying a rather older trade at the moment. Where are you from?
0: I'm an American journalist. I came here as a special correspondent. And what about you? I'm here alone. We have 45 minutes till the bar closes. I'm long enough to get swacked.
1: Of course, Graham Greene would probably have told this story from the point of view of the man in the white suit. He's a businessman called Daniel, incidentally, played by the dashing Joe Alwyn. Director Claire Denis, however, is far more interested in free spirit Trish, played by Margaret Qualley, Andy McDowell's daughter.
0: again. Again again.
1: We meet Trish as she juggles several Nicaraguan protectors, trying to raise enough money for a ticket home, eventually. She picked up Daniel in the bar, she tells him, mainly because his hotel had better air conditioning than hers. But one thing leads to a sharing of some confidences.
0: I'm here on a charitable course.
1: Please don't go into detail. However, Nicaragua is a dangerous country not to know much about. Daniel is obviously an innocent abroad. He's only been here a couple of days and doesn't even realise that many of the people he's hanging out with are people you don't want to hang out with.
0: Who's that friend of yours? What I do interest. He's waiting for you outside of the hotel right now.
1: Trish decides to take him under her wing, running the risk of offending her previous clientele. But is Daniel quite the innocent he seems? Why is he really here? And why does a mere businessman need a handgun in his luggage?
0: You're going to get us both killed. What brought you here? What are you, Moses? I wanted to know the exact dimensions of hell.
1: Wheels within wheels, in other words. It doesn't take long to realise that the authorities are keeping a more than usually close eye on one or both of them. And not just local authorities. That breezy American tourist who strikes up a conversation with Trish may as well have the letters CIA printed on his T-shirt.
0: This country is kind of like a gambler's paradise. Everybody's giving the odds a shake whichever game they feel like playing. Your British friend interests me. How long have you known him? How do you know who he is Who he says
1: he is? In thrillers like Stars at Noon, the point is generally the characters in the situation, not the politics. They're either looking for something or running away from something. But at least they're generally given some sort of clear motive. Without really knowing what drives Daniel or Trish, I found it hard to care one way or the other.
0: Excuse me. Is that polite enough for you? What were you going to do? How were you going to cross the border? By waving the American flag? Huh?
1: Aside from the vagueness of the goodies and baddies situation, I became irritated at the pace of Stars at Noon, or rather the lack of it. The first hour is mostly spent admiring the beauty of the two leads as they gradually develop feelings for each other stronger than a shared interest in air conditioning.
0: I could just snap my fingers and envelope of $20,000 in your lap like that.
1: But of course that's Claire Denis for you. Her films often epitomise the female gaze. Once the story kicks in, kicks in as a relative term of course, it slowly meanders to an ending that only justifies that term because it stopped and the theme song kicked in. So many dreams
0: we share like the
1: Stars at Noon. Stars at Noon undoubtedly looks good, it is Claire Denis after all, but it's too long, too slow, and too unclear to rival any of its illustrious predecessors. Claire has many skills, but straight thriller directing isn't one of them. And as the barman calls out last drinks, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.
0: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Muscal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman.